Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. Moving off legacy systems for a successful IT modernization plan and making data accessible to drive mission success. It's Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. The Zero Trust Summit is just over a week away. Hear how IT leaders in government and industry are adopting Zero Trust and modernizing their security postures. It's all happening at the International Spy Museum on February 23rd from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can learn more and register now at fedscoop.com slash attend. The Internal Revenue Service is undergoing a modernization plan to dispose of outdated IT systems, which the agency relies on for day-to-day operations. Like all federal agencies, IRS is moving in alignment with the Office of Management and Budget's Cloud Smart strategy. Here now is Jonathan Bennett, Digital Government Solutions Technical Director at Adobe and former Chief Enterprise Architect at the Department of Agriculture. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, so let's start off with asking the question of how should an agency define legacy systems and what factors might there be to consider that? Jonathan, welcome. Thank you, Billy. Appreciate it. Really excited to be here to chat with you this morning. Uh, so there's no set def- definition of what can, constitutes a legacy IT system. But they're generally older, outdated, and, and less able to perform their basic functions, newer versions of technology. Uh, they also may no longer be supported by a manufacturer or vendor who created the product, and, and therefore they may lack the latest security features or, or use software that's known to be vulnerable. All government customers and employees should expect to have easy-to-use applications and efficient processes when engaging with the government. If an existing system is not able to meet these rising expectations and enable agencies to carry out their missions, they should be considered legacy technology. Uh, An example, government websites and forms. So websites are the digital front door, the first thing that people come to when they're looking for a government service. And that first interaction between a customer and the government is really important. And unfortunately, then most interactions uh, then turn to a start with a government form, right? That you have to, so government websites are often difficult to navigate find what you're looking for, and both the website and the form are required to initiate that government service don't render well on a mobile device, not often accessible to those with disabilities. Old paper-based systems can no longer deliver the smooth and streamlined experiences that you and I expect uh, when when working in our private lives. And so these should be considered legacy systems. And many agencies are beginning to understand the necessity of modernizing these cumbersome processes, building more efficient, engaging document workflows, and, uh, and digital processes. And fortunately, government is really increasingly moving to these digital solutions and untethering vital government services from outdated paper-based systems that make financial environment practical sense from a time-saving standpoint. Jonathan, what goes into the decision-making process to decide when and how to move off of those legacy systems? Well, the various considerations that IT leaders should consider when deciding how and when to modernize. One of those considerations is the size and the scale of the modernization project and the cost-benefit trade-offs. So for many public sector organizations, digital transformation can sound really intimidating as they still may be entirely dependent on a legacy system or feel that dramatic change would cause significant disruptions. And they often do because there's often so many um, business processes and people relying and tethered to a particular system. Realistic IT modernization should consist of incremental stages that deliver visible results, such as automating select manual processes, cloud migration, enhancing data security, and streamlining digital workflows. These measures, however small, collectively result in tangible improvements in customer interactions and employee satisfaction. 
Additionally, these small changes add up to big savings. As according to the Chamber of Commerce, widespread government digitization can save over $1 trillion worldwide. And digitization also saves time, as the average amount of time spent on the, by the public on paper forms annually is over $10.5 billion. Hours. Couldn't believe that when I read that. Another is the challenge of balancing security with functionality. You know, recent government cybersecurity and IT modernization initiatives and a growing hybrid workforce have heightened the importance of protecting employee and customer data when modernizing. And the government wants to provide both secure and user-friendly services and must look for agile, FedRAMP solutions that are applicable across an agency's cloud infrastructure and have the flexibility to integrate within those systems and tools. Um, one way to address these concerns is to look for industry partners who understand the unique challenge of government. Every agency has its own digital transformation security needs, but by partnering with an organization that really understands as experience addressing their unique challenges, agencies can help to ensure a smooth modernization journey. So as agencies are thinking about their IT modernization plan and sort of ironing that out, who are the internal stakeholders that should be helping shape that process? When undergoing any digital transformation, it's critical all agency leaders CIOs, Chief Information Security Officers, CISOs, um, Chief Experience Officers. One person may be forgotten a lot of times, the Chief Enterprise Architect, looking across a, an entire uh, organization and looking at how systems and uh, work together, looking for duplication and looking at uh, ways that we can streamline that delivery of service benefit. Um, have to have, all these stakeholders have to be on the same page, have a plan that considers the long-term modernization goals and missions of the agency. However, while these IT and CX leaders are essential, it's really critical that the business and program leadership is involved, as most often these systems help government deliver program, you know, uh, actually, you know, program delivery and help uh, agency employees uh, perform their work every day. So that, I think that's the biggest oversight I've seen in my career is, is where IT goes off and does amazing things but without uh, consulting and working with business and uh, um, program leadership. You have to have a hand-in-hand -hand working relationship. And it's also important to keep in mind employees that will be using the updated systems on a day-to-day -day basis. After all, the government runs on people power. Uh, employees are happier, more likely to stay at their job if the tools they're given are intuitive and modern, especially when compared to the advanced tools they use in their private sector uh, lives. However, simple improvements with minimal required training are proven to be the best to bolter, bolster excuse me, employee satisfaction. Um, and it also bears emphasizing that while stakeholder, internal stakeholders are essential, the ones we just talked about, uh, you know, between the IT and the business program and even the employees, um, it's also critical for agencies to utilize a customer-centric mindset when choosing when and how to modernize. Because at the end of the day, customers bear the time tax when there are inefficiencies in the system. And fortunately, the CX executive order aims to make government services more efficient and effective, especially during critical life moments when access to benefits and resources are in greatest need. Bottom line, Billy, public sector should prioritize modernization solutions that address major employee and customer pain points. Keeping all these stakeholders in mind will help agencies iron out a plan with both long-term impact and effectiveness. So, Jonathan, obviously, moving off of a legacy system can come with some uh, frustrating uh, downtime potentially, but uh, obviously organizations want to prevent that as much as possible. So what can they do to make sure day-to-day -day operations go uninterrupted as they sort of uh, modernize and uh, replace those legacy systems? And and that's the key, Billy, replace. If you think about, um, you know, a, a single family house and, you um, you 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 know maybe 
two people decide to move in together and, and, and build a house to support them. But over time, that family grows and those needs change and you start adding in, uh, adding on a room or an addition or something, you know, another feature to the house. Um, because I wouldn't just buy another house just to support that sometimes. I'll just, it's easier to just bolt on and add on. And that's what happens with IT systems is it was designed and developed for one particular process or purpose. Uh, sometimes, you know, decades ago, and then over time, IT modernization has been building upon or enhancing those rather than replacing them. So I it really one of the biggest struggles I've seen is agencies deciding when to actually retire a system and making a hard decision to build a parallel system or build a system in parallel and then have a, a realistic migration plan where you move off of and re actually retire a system. So I'd say that, you know, the integration of new technologies can be a major hurdle for agencies when attempting to modernize. This is which is why industry and agency collaboration is critical to facilitate seamless modernization process. Um, ultimately, better collaboration among industry leaders means better collaboration between industry and government, which helps ensure a smooth digital transformation doesn't hinder operations. You know, bottom line, work with uh your your leadership team across an agency work with your program your business executives to understand um major changes in policy things are coming up on the horizon that may not be uh, thought of in the it shop or, or known and then working with business partners outside an agency to help plan and execute a a very thought out and thorough plan for not only building that new home but also finding a way to um migrate off of and retire Jonathan, as we close out here, final question, uh, how can organizations keep the momentum going for IT modernization and how do they avoid problems like this in terms of the legacy systems and that legacy creep in the future? I'd say keep it simple. Start small, celebrate milestones, and remember the bigger picture. The first step for an agency looking to modernize is understanding what they have already and performing a business capability driven application rationalization effort. Um, that's a, you know, maybe a long, a big, big word there, but, you know, looking at what your agency does, what are your business capabilities? Why are you, why are you in existence? And then looking across those business capabilities and identifying which systems and applications support those capabilities. And then performing an application rationalization effort to look at how many systems do I have supporting HR? And then of HR, how many systems are supporting onboarding? And then you can, once you identify a duplication and what systems you know and, and are performing each of those roles, then you can figure out which ones you want to keep, which ones you want to invest in, and which one, most importantly, as I mentioned before, you want to retire. Next is identifying what changes to implement immediately while keeping its overarching IT modernization goals in mind. This step will save money and time while reducing the strain on employees and customers alike. For instance, digitizing processes that utilize mass amounts of paper forms will ensure users no longer have to endure extensive bureaucratic delays while also allowing organizations to meet the goals outside of modernization such as sustainability. Digitization can dramatically reduce the reliance on paper and other physical resources and, and time when resources and people aren't there, like waiting on someone's signature. That should never have to happen anymore. And uh, digital signatures really helps uh, in, in that uh, case. 
And then splicing together siloed solutions as a result of external pressure to modernize is unlikely to achieve any desired technology goals, in my experience. Agencies should avoid short-sighted decision-making in the name of modernization and just doing something to put a stamp on it. Um, as with any long-term effort, it's important to share the successes and take a measure of what's been achieved and adjustments that need to be made. So regularly checking in with your program and your business folks, uh, executives, and, and working across the, the, the different IT groups. And then even your agencies that you work and you share data with or share certain mission areas uh, together with. You know, Ultimately, challenges such as competing priorities and naysayers will undoubtedly come up. But don't let that slow your stride. Modernization requires slow and steady commitment and a focus on the bigger picture. Jonathan, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure as always. I uh, hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Billy. It's been really great speaking to you this morning. Take care. You can learn more about IT modernization efforts across government at fedscoop.com. On Thursday's episode of the Daily Scoop podcast, you'll hear more about the work ahead for IRS to move off those legacy systems. The Government Accountability Office's Dave Hinchman joins me to discuss what his team learned about IRS's modernization strategy. That show debuts Thursday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Agencies across government are working to make data more accessible internally and to the public. In this interview with my Scoop News Group colleague, Wyatt Cash, Laura Biven, Data Science Technical Lead at NIH's Office of Data Science Strategy, and John Auerbach, Senior Vice President for Public Health at ICF and former Director of Intergovernmental and Strategic Affairs at CDC, discuss best practices for making more data available and usable. Biomedical research is very much a, a data-rich science. And at NIH, we see our role as helping researchers access and use those data effectively. And so many of the institutes and centers across NIH steward and own their own data repositories where researchers can go to access really valuable data sets for their research. Um, across the NIH, we have a strategic plan for data science, which envisions a modernized and fair biomedical data ecosystem. And here, fair means findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable data. And I work in the Office of Data Science Strategy, where we have the responsibility to implement that strategic plan. And so a lot of our work is involves um, providing the connective tissue across the different repositories that are owned by the different entities across NIH. And so we work to develop the data services and the programs and the funding um, uh, um, programs that will allow researchers to run workflows across those different repositories in the most effective ways possible. And John, I'm curious to hear your perceptions about what progress you're seeing with health agencies at the federal, as well as state and local levels in making data more accessible and usable. Well, there are multiple efforts underway to make data more accessible, as well as accurate and timely. Virtually all of the federal and the state health agencies are now engaged in activities to strengthen their data systems. And, and let me give you a few examples. CDC has established a new Center for Forecasting and Outbreak Analytics to help it better predict and manage emergencies of all kinds. And the center is going to model and evaluate forecasting efforts, establish and maintain data and analytics technology, and collaborate with state, local, uh, tribal, and territorial leaders to support decision-making. 
Health Resources and Services Administration, or, or HRSA, is adapting its uniform data system, that's the data system that comes from the community health centers around the country, so that it is more aligned with the emerging U.S. core data for interoperability standards. And that will allow the agency to better understand and share information about the characteristics and needs of 30 million people. And finally, I just would mention CMS because they're engaged in an initiative to ensure that both healthcare professionals and the public can easily find, access, and use important information, including information about the quality of care, and ICF is assisting them in this effort. Well, Laura, I know there's certainly a lot of challenges, but I'm curious, what kinds of challenges are you still facing most in your position? And how have federal initiatives like the Federal Data Strategy and the Evidence Act, et cetera, uh, how have they helped advance your efforts at NIH? That's a great question. Um, interoperability is still very hard. Interoperability between data sets um, requires not just a sort of harmonization of the different types of data and the way that those data are organized, but also a harmonization between um, the platforms where they live. So thinking about APIs and other um, standard in ways to access the data that are consistent across different platforms. And that often requires a, a degree of consensus building across a number of different organizational entities. So the government policies that you mentioned are certainly incredibly helpful in terms of setting expectations for governments and for researchers um, in meeting some of those challenges. And John, from your somewhat broader perspective in the health arena, what, what challenges are you also seeing? And again, how have initiatives like the federal data strategy and other initiatives like it, how, how are they helping agencies manage data for broader public use? Great question. Well, I highlight three major challenges, each of which I think is being worked on. Uh, the first is the need for sustainable resources. And uh, because of COVID, there were a lot of funds that were made available to work on data. But some of these funds are one-time only. And we need to make sure that, they, that the funding is sustainable because these aren't one-time only investments. We need to make sure that the data systems are both transformed, but then sustained. Uh, a second challenge that I've mentioned is the need to ensure that the workforce has the skills that are needed to transform and maintain the data and information systems. And, and this requires being able to attract and keep those with the needed skills as well as to train existing members of the workforce. And this is a challenge because these positions are very competitive now. And finally, I mentioned that a major challenge is that the data modernization efforts aren't only needed at the federal level. Data systems also have to be updated, supported, and aligned at the state, local, tribal, and territorial levels in both the healthcare and the public health sectors. And given that there's a good deal of uneven capacity across the nation, this will require a lot of attention. Uh, to your point about are the is the federal strategy working? I think absolutely. Uh, in spite of these formidable challenges, the attention that's been brought to uh, the vision for the future, but also these challenges, um, means that there is likely to be attention paid to them. And as I've indicated, there are many efforts underway to do just that. 
Well, Laura, let's move from uh, policy initiatives to the practical. What, what are some practical best practices that NIH has learned that other agencies might consider, especially in capturing greater intelligence out of data and then facilitating the use of things like APIs, for example, for data sharing? So as I mentioned, I think interoperability of data assets is a really key component for us in terms of helping researchers gain the maximum insight possible out of the data that NIH stewards. And so we have a number of different programs and practices to help uh, to help us make those data interoperable. NIH has been a bit ahead of the curve in terms of um, putting most of our data assets in the cloud which allows many different resources, uh, researchers to access those data regardless of their where they are geographically um, and, and to participate in large scale collaborations around those data. We also have programs that are actively testing out different types of standards and APIs and um, tools that would help researchers search for data across the different um, repositories as well as run workflows across them. So we have a number of different um, programs in place that are helping us advance that science. Um, we also have um, uh, some initiatives looking sort of far upstream in terms of how data are created. And here the emphasis on AI and machine learning has really proved to be a good motivator where we're really looking at the skills and competencies that our biomedical research teams need to have in order to make the data that they create um, ready for AI and machine learning. And so that's another area of emphasis for us. I appreciate your outlining those. And then, John, the, what additional or other best practices are you seeing in these areas that you might recommend? Well, I think fortunately there are a number of best practices now, and I'll mention uh, just a few. Uh, the first one really dovetails with what Laura has been saying, and that's the increasing federal practice of storing data in the cloud and utilizing fire standards. Um, and that's laying the groundwork for standardization and interoperability. And just as one example, 75 out of CMS's 200 applications are already in the cloud. A second practice, though, that I'd highlight is the current work to update the U.S. core data for interoperability or the standard questions that are asked in health and human services settings. The current efforts will reinforce the importance of consistency in the type of data that are collected, and it will also result in collecting certain types of data, for instance, data related to social determinants of health and data related to equity in a widespread manner, and some of it will be for the first time. And then finally, I would draw attention to the groundbreaking workforce and infrastructure grant program that was recently initiated by the CDC. This is a kind of astounding $3.9 billion effort that includes support for hiring skilled data personnel at the state and local levels. The grant program combines support for data experts with a good deal of flexibility for states and locals to hire other personnel that are needed to prepare for the current and future public health needs. You can learn more about data accessibility at fedscoop.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Thursday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.